for this first Sunday in February, we're taking up the, you know, the modest theme of love. I mean, why not? Why not tackle love, right? And we do so in a larger context of our faith tradition as well as society and so on. Um, we have, in this moment of our Unitarian Universalist Association, there is a, a, a project of an effort to review and revise and provide some new language for part of our association's kind of foundational statements of being and priorities and values. And, and part of where that is going with this is, is centering in love. And it begins with, love is the enduring force that holds us together. You know, when asked, uh, in our congregation, we had a conversation last fall. What should we teach our children? Uh, what should we teach our children and our youth and include in the adult programs? Um, the first response of this congregation was love. Let's see. Let me offer that. So this was, this flaming chalice is the word cloud created by the congregation's responses from last fall, saying, what should we teach? in this place, in this congregation, in this faith community. I think you can guess where it, you know, what the loud word is, right? Love and community and tolerance and justice and so much more. But I want to also do so intentionally, thoughtfully, because boy, love is a big one, isn't it? So I want, as we're going through the rest of the service today and going forward in the rest of the month, to keep reflecting on the question, what does love mean to you? What does it mean within the context of a faith community such as this? Why love? Why would we use something this transcendent, this significant as a central value for a faith tradition such as ours, for a congregation such as this? So I want to offer a few notes on kind of where does love come from in the course of our tradition and what do we do with it? And I'm going to begin with the very smallest increment of that, uh, the, the individual, you know, each one of us. And it's a central struggle and offering a central one, uh, one way of answering the question from our 20th century Unitarian minister, the Reverend A. Powell Davies. He says, when two individuals meet, so do two private worlds. None of our private worlds is big enough for us to live a wholesome life entirely. Uh, we need a wider joy of world of wonder and joy of purpose and venture of toil and tears, he says. What are we, any of us, but strangers and sojourners forlornly wandering through the nighttime until we draw together and find meaning in our lives and one another, dissolving our fears into each other's courage and making music together, lighting torches that guide us through the dark. 
What are we but these creatures wandering? We belong together, he says. Love is what we need to love and to be loved. Now I'm going to take a moment here and say there was a small request because if anybody knows the Beatles, there is, of course, an obvious song for this. Love is all we need. All we need is love. All you need is love. All you need is love. Love. Love is all you need. All right. Thank you. There we go. We had to get that out of the system. I know that was in there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. And it's okay to keep singing that, you know, internally. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I know. We do. No one of us is or needs to be enough to encounter this life and live well by ourselves. We don't have to. We are drawn to each other. We need each other, not just as two individuals either encountering one another, but we keep drawing that circle wider and wider so that we might be less forlorn, that we might find courage, make music, and guide each other. Love is what we need, Davies reminds us. Collectively, we know this. We sing of love, of being held, that more love is out there. And every age, we keep living and practicing and articulating how to love and live again. But we aren't always explicit with the love as love language in that. So I want to offer that in recent decades, um, there's been more conversation about love in Unitarian Universalism. It's really been a blossoming in the last few decades. But I'll offer that as someone who grew up in this tradition, that we didn't actually talk so much about love. Like that wasn't the obvious first language, if you will. I grew up in a Unitarian Versalist congregation in central Massachusetts. And it just wasn't so overtly stated. I would love to go back to that time, like the 1970s and the 80s and the 90s, and see what the word cloud would have been then, right? What would have been that that word cloud for the congregation where I grew up, which was kind of a largely humanist in its focus? Um, Because the key words from my youth, were freedom and reason and tolerance. And I'll just say the tolerance by which is meant that really broad recognition of sources of truth and inspiration. Very inclusive tolerance, if you will. And there was also starting to be more language. And I remember, you know, I knew this as growing up as as a child and as a youth. So it must have been much larger as a voice in the congregation. Um, There was also an increase of kind of the female-aligned, love-abundant language, as uh, you could see from the reading from the Reverend Alicia Ford. Um, but, But the conversation about love certainly went further back than that. When, say, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. talked about the different forms of love and focused on agape, that mutual, mutuality of love grounded in faith. The understanding of love has been a growing uh, core of language and motivation for creating a whole and more healthy world and for resisting the ongoing uh, damage and systemic 
oppression and anti and racism and so on in our society and in our world, we were called by Dr. King to create the beloved community here on earth. Love, right? So I want to offer a few kind of where is this love kind of showing up historically for us and what are we doing with this today? Because um, theologically, we're going to go back to the beginning for just a moment. Theologically, the premise in universalism, because that's a separate tradition from Unitarianism, the premise of uni universalism was put forth at the beginning of love, at the very start of the Christian church. This is where we come from. We have a lot of different pluralism going on now, but this is where we come from. I so appreciate that little bit of scripture. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. It's biblical, it's scriptural, and to me, as someone who didn't grow up with a lot of Bible, I, it speaks to me as an enduring force, as an enduring spirit and presence that is larger than us. And from that, God, if you will, the language of the time, God sent a teacher, a child of the universe, like we are children of the universe, to call us to compassion, to act from a sense of spirit versus the rigidity of law. We were called by this teacher to flip over the tables in the temple when we reduced each other to objects for gain and call it faith. That's love to remind us to consider our own actions before judging another. And ultimately, that we do not have to fear death, that we are all in this together and we have an ultimate shared destiny. That's the core of our universalist tradition. It's love in action, as well as in prayer and meditation. Love that allows us to find each other amid our brokenness and hopelessness. Premise survived the founding of the Christian church, the persecution of centuries of persecution when the authorities called it heresy and the subsequent time further on. We have the theological premise that love is everything around us and holds us, holds us close and holds us in the experience of all that is. But then we have to figure out what to do with that. So I'm going to move up a few centuries to 1637, where love shows up at the core of our structure, not just the theology, but the structure, how we gather together in the free church. Now, the free church is something that's not any one particular tradition. It's an expression. It's a practice that crosses many faith traditions. But in this particular moment, we go to first church in Dedham, Massachusetts in 1637. My colleague, the Reverend Alice Blair Wesley, in her men's lectures from 2000, talks about this. The people of Dedham at that time, there were about 30 families or so, they started to gather and discuss major questions with each other. They wanted to establish and uh, relationships and mutual understanding and check on compatibility before establishing and committing to creating a church with their precious lives. 
Reverend Alice points out, they didn't lead with the Bible, although that was certainly their context, but they led with questions. Ooh, sound familiar? Leading with questions. And a desire for connection. Sound familiar? The exchange led them to discover how they might be together and could ultimately entrust their mortal selves to the growing body they were creating. And in their seeking, they focused on affection and affirmation and counsel and explored how to care for each other, how they felt was the best way to let love, the Spirit of God for them, work in them and then to take it out into the world. And she says, these New Englanders assumed that the strongest, but the strongest, clearest, most authentic voice in their whole society for justice and peace and reasonable laws would come from a free church once it was established. They understood the divine will of the loving God of the universe to be for justice and peace and the good laws of the whole society. And the task of the free church should be, in their terms, that a loving God and loving one another to do that so well in their study and discussion and disagreement, there was disagreement, and prayer and consultation, and more discussion. I think there was probably infinite discussion. Um, the members might learn together what the divine will of the loving God for the whole society would be, insofar as that will would create justice and peace and reasonable laws. So here we have the completely intertwined relationship between free seeking and love. And she reminded me, and one of my favorite affirmations begins with, love is the doctrine of this church. Not any particular belief is that doctrine, but a commitment, a loyalty to pursuing this path of compassion, consideration, and care. So that the results of that path with other people is a sustaining, compassionate, just, and peaceful society. We have individual members widening each other's experience, calling each other to be their better angels again and again and again, not bound in any one set of beliefs, but in a genuine commitment to love. So that was about 400 years ago. I mean, you know, it's been a minute since then, but we keep doing that practice. We keep finding that guidance as a free church in that kind of practice and tradition. And so here's how it shows up in part today. Um, today, one of our major advocacy campaigns and symbols is called Side with Love. And we have been becoming to known as Unitarian Versus the Love Church or the Love People because of how we show up in uh, yellow t-shirts like this color of the stole and yellow t-shirts with side with love emblazoned upon them and with the stylized heart that's also on my stole. So if you're wondering where that heart comes from, this is our advocacy effort in our larger association. But it comes from a communal response to a terrible and a violent act. From the Side with Love website, 
the broad message of standing on the side with love, which is where it started originally, was about marriage equality in Massachusetts in 2004. But then there was a deadly shooting at the congregation of the Tennessee Valley Unitarian Universalist Church in Knoxville, Tennessee, in the summer of 2008. Two people died in the course of that shooting. And the congregation was targeted because it had been so welcoming of lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, plus people, and had a liberal stance on so many issues. Now, that's not unusual for a universalist congregation, but here's what really made a difference. That the Knoxville community, the entirety of the community, responded with such an outpouring of love and care and support that that inspired our larger association to say, we can harness this and make it into a, an effort and a larger movement to challenge exclusion and oppression and violence based on sexual orientation, gender identity, immigration status, race, religion, or any other identity. Ability as well. So now we've moved from calling it standing on the side with love to side with love. And that's how we're showing up in this moment, putting that real care into action. Not just from any one congregation or even just one denomination, but a broader appeal to our society. So now when we show up with the Side with Love Church that have been showing up since 2009, we're becoming, have been becoming known and trusted as the Love Church or the Love People. These bright yellow shirts that, I don't know about you, but this color is just not good on me. But I'm going to wear the shirt. I'm going to wear the shirt because it's Side with Love, right? As an institution, we set ourselves in that place, in that commitment and have been known by our consistent practice. It showed up just a couple of weeks ago with the vigil for Planned Parenthood here in Peoria, and it will show up this afternoon in the vigil against police violence. My colleague, the Reverend Nancy Bowen, reminds me that the purpose of the church is to heal the consequences and lovelessness of an injustice in our hearts and in our souls so that we might lead the community and gather to heal the world. Black author and speaker, uh, the late James Baldwin, talks about, in keeping with, I think, the spirit of those in that Dedham congregation oh, almost not quite 400 years ago, he says, love takes off the masks that we fear we cannot live without and know we cannot live within. He says, I use the word love here, not merely in the personal sense, but in a state of being or a state of grace, not in the infantile American sense of being made happy, but in the tough and universal sense of quest and daring and growth. Let me say that again. Love, not merely in the personal sense, but as a state of being, a state of grace, not in the infantile American sense of being made happy, but in the tough and universal sense of quest and daring and growth. Love doesn't stay still or fixed. It is a transcendent value that is among us, within us, all around us. 
the practice of love, the living into this is a commitment that must be done every day in every moment. And it is one that can be scaled up into the largest circles or downward into personal vulnerability and integrity. But it very much is about practice. So the love church really to me is a question mark because it's always unfinished. It's always not fully answered and it never should be. It needs to be examined again and again and again. And we've done so. People who are, even before there was Unitarian Universalism, people have been doing so for centuries. And now we get to take up the question again. And it's also not being about any one particular faith being the love church. Because it really should be that we are counted ourselves among the all of the love churches or all of the love faith traditions and so on. I know speaking with my colleagues in this area that they are really trying to embody in other faith traditions, embody the spirit as well. We are not trying to have exclusive right to the name, not exclusive right to the knowledge of the practice of the free church, but one where we are amongst a cloud of witnesses and co-workers and beloved community that stretches far back into human history and hopefully goes further on as we make our effort to help heal the world. So we don't close with a declaration that we are the love church. Heck no. But we are yet offering another opening for how to respond and how we might carry that commitment and that value together. And I wonder, and I will keep wondering, how we will respond today. Let us go forth and respond in love. Amen.